trailblazers in research, innovators in technology, and those who simply have a good story. All make up the fabric that is George Mason University. We're taking on the grand challenges that face our students, graduates, and higher education is our mission and our passion. Hosted by Mason President Gregory Washington, this is the Access to Excellence podcast. Hello, everyone. This is George Mason University President Gregory Washington welcoming you to another Access to Excellence podcast, where we discuss the grand challenges facing our students, graduates, and higher education. If bees don't thrive, we don't thrive. Those are the first words atop the website of George Mason University's Honeybee Initiative, a program supported by Mason School of Business and operated by Mason's Business for a Better World Center. The Honeybee Initiative is a fascinating and far-reaching program that educates our students in the research that will help ensure the health of this important pollinator. My guest today is one of the founders of the initiative, and one of the driving forces in Mason's commitment to produce the graduates and service-oriented action that best serves society. Lisa Green-Pemble is an associate professor and co-executive director of the Business for a Better World Center, and she is a champion of Mason's university-wide initiatives that engage students of all majors in social innovation, enterprise, and entrepreneurship. Dr. Green Premble, who has a PhD in communication from the University of Maryland, received Mason's Teaching Excellence Award in 2005 and the Mentoring Excellence Award in 2017. In 2019, she received Mason's Alumni Association's Faculty of the Year Award. Dr. Green Premble, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, it's really interesting. I've kind of taken by, I I guess, the first words that are atop this website. If bees don't thrive, we don't thrive. And I get it. It's interesting. You go back and you see the changes our society went through to protect certain species of animal, right, from the black-footed ferret. Mm -hmm. Even here in Virginia, we have to talk about the bald eagle, Right. And the depths of science that it took to understand what DDT was doing to the eggs of eagles and how that contributed to the basically extinction of that species and how we have brought it back. And you look at all of that and all of that effort. None of it is more important than honeybees. That's true. Because the reality is you're not just saving the bees. You're saving your behind. (laughs) No, it's so true. That is so true. (laughs) Right? And so talk to us a little bit about this effort. Well, the effort itself was started in 2012. We had four hives that were given to us by the Patriot Green Fund on campus. And we had this idea to start a honeybee field station. And the whole idea was, could we do something about sustainable beekeeping in an urban setting? And since that time, the initiative has just exploded. And we have had programs on campus. We engage virtually every school and college on George Mason University's campus in the honeybee 
CB initiative. And I think there are a lot of folks around this university who claim it as their project too, which is mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. exciting. And yeah, we've expanded internationally. So it's been a really successful program. About how many bees? So we have about 600 fives mm-hmm. and about 50 of those are in Northern Virginia. And then I would say that a significant portion are also in Columbia. And then there's about 150 in Peru. Okay. So the honey that we produce, that we distribute, does that honey emanate from the hives that are placed here on campus? Yeah. So we actually have a store that's operated through the Business for a Better World Center, Mm -hmm. and we sell honey that is produced on campus on our hives here, as well as those around the Northern Virginia region. We have some at the Manassas City Airport, and we have some at the landfill. And we also sell tea lights and taper candles. And it's really exciting because we're venturing into mead right now. And mead? Mead. So it's the, like the a drink hun- mead. The drink mead, uh, like a wine with honey in it. So we're going to experiment with that, hoping actually to see what a local uh, brewery might be able to do for us or a local winery might be able to do for us. And then Sodexo actually made honey salad dressing with our honey as well. And I'm super excited to report that we just received an O'Shaughnessy Hearst Foundation grant to expand our 50 hives to more than 200 in Northern Virginia. And that's going to make us a sustainable operation in the next three years. And so if you can just imagine how awesome it will be for our students to be able to take products like wax and turn it into cosmetics and learn how to market this initiative and run the marketplace and the store and Mm -hmm. really learn some Mm -hmm. business skills as well as sustainability skills. Look, in my opinion, this is kind of what it's all about, right? And I expect that this is one of the kinds of projects that emanate from our business for a better world center, right? Yeah, and that's correct. Talk to us a little bit about that. Got a lot of questions about the honeybees, but I wanna I wanna make sure I, I don't miss the point that you just made. You're on to something much bigger than that. The honeybees to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, nope. seem like a means to an end. But it's the end that's really, really important. So you want to talk a little bit about the center? Yeah, I would love to talk about the center. The Business for a Better World Center was actually founded in 2019, right before the pandemic. And what's exciting about the center is that it really builds on the great work that's already been happening at Mason for more than a decade. And the vision of the center is that business can be and should be a leading force in addressing the world's challenges. It's really that simple for us, that we believe that a better world is everyone's business. And the reality is that business has a responsibility to make an impact in the social and environmental arena. And so we do that through a number of different projects and programs. One of those is funded by the Kaiser Permanente Foundation and in partnership with the Mason and Partner Clinics. We're working in the Baileys-Colmore region to improve health outcomes and to improve economic outcomes for the members of that community. And it's that type of academic community partnering that is so fundamental to the work that we do at the center. Mm -hmm. As another example, we have a program called our Impact Fellows Program in the School of Business, and that works with underrepresented students in business. It's a two-year program. Students get to do all sorts of things. They have faculty and peer and professional mentors, and they get to interact with business leaders. Like earlier today, we had Perry Chen from Kickstarter with us, and so students got to meet him and talk with him and ask 
ask him questions. And so this program, to me, is what it means. When we say at Mason that we want to talk about access to excellence, that's what a program like this does. Mm -hmm. And the response from students has been overwhelmingly positive. We have one student, Nyla Assand from Bangladesh, and she was so inspired by her participation last year in the Impact Fellows Program that she went on to start kind of like a nonprofit to support <coughs> young women in Bangladesh, where she's from. And so this program is really having a tremendous impact. There's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> but let's take it one step at a time. We have an initiative here that's focused in the grand challenges, that's focused on helping promote the study of grand challenges, the education of grand challenges from the perspective of helping our students understand them. Mm -hmm. Partially, I feel a little bit responsible as a representative of our generation for causing some of the challenges that our students are going to basically inherit and they're going to have to solve. And so my philosophy is you give them tools, as many tools as you possibly can, and you equip them to go forward and solve these challenges. And you also help them to understand that, hey, every generation has its challenges, right? We had ours. Mm -hmm. We just talked about the bald eagle, and those are things that we inherited that somebody in our generation had to solve. And this generation is going to have theirs, too. I want to make sure we're doing our part in terms of helping them be able to solve those. Along those lines, we just had an event at Mason called 17 Rooms U, which was a partnership between the Business for a Better World Center and the Mason Institute for Sustainable Earth. And it tied into the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals. Those 17 goals are in alignment with the global grand challenges that I talked about. I don't think people would make the immediate correlation between business and sustainability. I will tell you, I sit on a number of boards, and I know companies are starting to make this connection. With a nod towards October being National Campus Sustainability Month, talk a little bit about how they are linked. That's a great question. And what people may not realize and really need to know is that business is tied inextricably to sustainability. And in fact, the UN has an entire report dedicated to the relationship between business and sustainability. And that report acknowledges that business has been a driver of growth and innovation and job creation and believes that business can also be a fundamental driver of bold economic, social, and environmental solutions. UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon said several years ago that he was counting on the private sector to drive our success. And so I think the business community was involved heavily in talking about the goals and the metrics for the sustainable development goals. And as you said, a lot of businesses are starting to think about how we might measure our success, not only by our profit, but by metrics that <coughs> showcase how we're affecting the environment and the communities in which we live. So I think business and sustainability go hand in glove. Without question, without question. I read a staggering statistic lately as we move back into honeybees. According to the United Nations, the Department of Economic and Social Affairs, the global population is 7.9 billion people. And by the end of this century, and I think we're going to hit that number before, projections are we get 10.9 billion. We're growing at somewhere in the neighborhood of two to 300 million people every three years. I don't think people realize the extent of how the food we eat comes from plants pollinated by bees. 
my understanding that that number is about one third. Mm-hmm. That's correct. And bees are also in dis- in distress globally, significant distress. I think we've all heard about this whole concept of colony collapse disorder. Can you talk about how you're engaging that issue and helping that situation? I talk to students a lot about this in the classroom because I think sometimes students look at these enormous problems and challenges that we face, like climate change and healthcare inequities, right? And they say, what can I do, really, just one person? And so we have 600 hives now, and someone might say, well, what, what are you really doing? And I'll tell you, I think that the Honey Bee Initiative, first and foremost, is about raising awareness. And raising awareness leads to behavior change. Mm -hmm. And I think about when I was a kid, and I'm sure anyone who's under 30 who's listening to this will just be like, are you serious? Well, we didn't recycle, right? I mean, there wasn't. That was the advent of the recycling campaign, right? It just came out. And now it's like I carry a can around and I will walk until I find a place to recycle it because there's that behavior change. And the same thing with the recycling campaigns of my youth. We have to have the pollination campaigns that change people's behavior and let them know not only the importance of pollinators to human food security, but also what they can do. Like, what can they do about how they take care of their lawn? And what does the aesthetic standard mean? Like, it's okay to have clover in your yard, right? right? You don't have to have that pristine yard. And so every time we bring our College of Education master's students, in science and math to the hives, which we do every semester, and they learn about how they can transform that work on campus into a lesson plan. Do you have any idea the number of students that they are teaching in this region, right? We have this just exponential number of teachers right here in Fairfax County and Prince William County, Alexandria, right? All with Mason degrees. All with Mason degrees. And they are (laughs) teaching these kids about the importance of pollinators. And so I actually want to tell you what one of our students wrote to me, and I brought it with me because one of our students who's alum of the program, her name's Stephanie Pereja, she's a teacher at Garfield Elementary School, and she wrote me a note, and she said, to say that the Honey Bee Initiative changed my life would be an understatement. My experiences with the initiative have taken me from exploring honeybees in Northern Virginia, venturing to the depths of the Peruvian Amazon to discover the, the unique traits of stingless bees to climbing the mountaintops of rural Colombia in wonderment of Africanized bees. I've had the immense honor of transitioning from a learner of beekeeping practices to a teacher, now educating new generations of beekeepers about the impact that bees have on our world. It is safe to say that the Honey Bee Initiative not only created a foundation of interest in beekeeping for me, but also pushed me to educate and inspire others as well. My hope now is to instill the same passion for apiculture in my students and help empower young children to explore that all nature has to offer. Like, wow, that's really powerful. And she's one of hundreds of teachers who come through those hives. I get it. And the power of a teacher to impact thousands Mm -hmm. is real. That is really heartwarming. About how many bees in a hive? Because you said we have about 50 on campus. We have 50 hives on campus. I knew you were going to ask me that question, and I need to look up the answer. But (laughs) it is many thousands. No, I get it. Yes, and I've gone to pick up the bees when we've had to replace some of our bees. And the buzzing from the back of the car with thousands of bees is unlike anything you've ever heard before. Now, you're driving in a suit, of course, right? No, no, no. They're in their little packages. They come in their little packages. But I I do wear a bee suit. 
cute. Oh yes, and I, it has George Mason University on it. Uh-huh. And but I will tell you, I mean the bees are pretty gentle. And Herman Peria, who is our uh, director of the Honeybee Initiative, he and I co-founded the initiative in 2013. He doesn't wear a suit when he is taking care of the bees and interacting with the bees because he just really wants people to understand that they don't have to be afraid of the bees. And he gets stung all the time. And he shows the students the stinger and things like that. See, he gets stung all the time. He gets stung all the time, probably so, so, six so, times. So the reason why people are fearful of the bees is because they get stung, right? They don't want to get stung. Exactly. And everybody has that remembrance, that memory growing up. Right and oh yeah, <laughs> you step on a dandelion yes. or you, you you just feel something on your arm and you smack it and it's a honeybee and you get stung right yes and, and I will and tell stung. you I'm allergic to honeybee Ooh. stings and so I bring an EpiPen with me but I am telling you I do it because well first of all it's not like you're gonna get stung if you're wearing you the know the suit, suit right. and you've got thick socks and in sh- closed-toed shoes on so it's not really I, I don't ever feel I actually feel sort of calmed um, when I'm in the environment because the bees are just sort of humming and buzzing about. And there is nothing like watching a baby bee emerge from a cell or the taste of honey right off the comb. I mean, there there's magic that happens when you're in that bee right yard. So right off the comb. Yes. No, yeah, well. We'll so, take you out there. You can come know, out. I, take I, would love, I would love to do it. <laughs> Don't know if you know this, but. See, I get these bits and pieces of information because of where I sit. You know we've had a number of bear sightings I do. On campus. I do. Do you think they could be correlated to the honeybees? My understanding is is that they're going after the What's the, the brood. Trash can? Yes. Uh-huh. The yeah. So I I don't think that's probably the case. Okay. And okay. a lot of times the other thing that happens on campus, we get a lot of calls. The honeybees are all over the trash cans and it's your bees and so you kind of have to remind people, well, bees can fly 2 miles, so we're not really sure that it's the bees on it could be anybody's bees, right, that are on right. campus. And usually what we're seeing around this time of year in the trash cans are yellow jackets, and people just confuse them for honeybees. Oh, and yeah. so, But they are not the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. It's very, very interesting. 600 hives around mm-hmm. the world. So the students learn not just how to produce a product from the honey or the wax or whatever, right? But they're also learning about other cultures. Yes, they are. They're also learning global trade. Yes. Right? Can you talk a little bit about how all of that goes together? Yeah, I think one of the things that's pretty tremendous about the Honeybee Initiative is it's multidisciplinary. Mm-hmm. Again, something that falls in line with Mason's history and, yeah. and attention to like how do different disciplines work together to solve these grand challenges. And what the students learn, we take them both to the Peruvian Amazon and to Colombia to visit our field stations there and to see a number of different things. And one of the things that's always really striking for the students, we don't have a lot of tangible goods, right? You can't go to a lot of factories and see tangible goods being produced here in the United States. Mm -hmm. And so when you get students and they get to see the coffee industry and the cacao or the cocoa industry, the honeybee initiative, paper, right? Um, There's something called a a trapiche farm, and it's a little bit like a molasses brown sugar. And when the students get to see how the communities with the mayors, with the local university, with private industry, 
industry are working together to produce like or to create businesses that are sustainable and that are healthy for the people and for the environment, it's pretty special. And so the students see that. They see the benefit of what we call tri-sector, nonprofit, for-profit, business, working together to address these problems. They find that really meaningful. Hmm. Outstanding. So talk to us a little more detail about this former landfill issue and and that connection to the honeybees. Yeah, so the connection with the landfill came about, and you're going to sense a theme here, right, because I keep telling you these stories about all of the different units on campus that we partner with and the alumni. And the way that that came about actually was through an alum named Eric Forbes, who works for Fairfax County. Okay. And he came to us and he said, there's a landfill, and... I think it would be a great place to put honeybees. He had gotten his degree with Hermann, and he knew both of us from being a graduate student here. And so he just came out one day, and we sat down in a conference room and just said, okay, well, what could be? And then he said, you know, let me bring in the Covanta Waste Management Facility because they have an image problem that they're trying to work on in terms of, you know, people think all of these nasty thoughts about waste management, and Mm -hmm. there are some benefits to what they do in their services. So let's see if we can get together, rehabilitate this landfill, plant some pollinator-friendly bees, and then, oh, by the way, what happens if we involve our College of Science colleagues and bring researchers, so we have H.C. Lim and Bill Hahn from our College of Science, out there collecting pollen samples from the landfill and from other sites in urban and semi-urban and rural areas, and they're investigating the extent to which pollen has heavy metals and chemicals in it. And so it was just this really great opportunity. Fairfax County put some money into Mm -hmm. it. And so now we have about 24 hives out at the landfill. And it's perfect for the school groups that come out to the landfill to learn about what a landfill is. But they can also learn about honeybees. Again, it's that education coming back. And it provides research opportunities for our faculty and their graduate and undergraduate students. Really cool. Most interesting research you've seen come out of the Honeybee Initiative? For me, what's the most interesting, and it's more like, I would say, a community-based research initiative, Mm -hmm. and that's the most interesting research, and I'll tell you why. I think what we're doing with the Honeybee Initiative is different from a lot of other programs in the country. We really focus on how sustainable beekeeping can empower communities, and what that empowerment looks like is dependent on the location. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in Colombia, we're working with rural women and girls girls to try to use sustainable beekeeping as a means of economic empowerment for them. So we're working with what's called stingless bees. As their name sounds, they do not sting. They're the size of mosquitoes. And they produce a very... Yeah, oh, they're really small. They don't sting. So they they bite, but they don't sting. You don't have to wear a suit with them. And they produce this really thin honey that is used medicinally in those communities. And it's great because many of the women, one of whom her name is Senny, she started with just a few hives and now she has about 25 hives and she's able to sell her honey particularly the ones from stingless bees that goes for well many times the amount of regular honey and she's able to bring added income into her family and is now exploring other products that she can use and sell Hmm. and so we started that program with 20 families and now we have more than 200 and we're working with mayors a bank all of this stuff to make this program happen and so that community-based 
research where the community shares with us what their needs are and we're able to help make that happen is really important. Another example is in Peru, where we work in the Peruvian Amazon. And the place that we go to is only accessible after a long boat ride and then a very long miles walk through the Amazon rainforest. Mm -hmm. And we work with communities there because if you can envision the Amazon with the giant tree canopy, it's really hard to harvest honey. And so we've been working with the local community to find ways not to, for example, engage in logging practices, which destroy the Amazon, but also provide easy access to the honey. How can we design these new kinds of hives that the community itself designs based on all materials that they have so that they can get extra income from that honey that and bring it to the market and sell it and get out of logging practices. And so here, the research, if you will, or the conversation that beekeeping sparks, to go back to your earlier comment where you said it's more than the bees. That's right. Well, the bees allow us in that community to have a conversation about conservation mm-hmm. and the importance of the Amazon rainforest. Here, it's the example of Covanta, right? And what we can do with the research and what are the chemicals and the heavy metals that are occurring in the pollen. And quite frankly, if it's occurring in the pollen, it's occurring in the food. And if it's occurring in the food, it's having an impact on human livelihood. And so we really need to pay attention to that. And so that's really the remarkable thing is, about that, this initiative. That's a great research topic right there, to, yeah. follow that, to follow that trail. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You mentioned this stingless bees. Yes. Never heard of them. Honey, very different? The honey from stingless bees is very thin and syrupy. It's almost the consistency of like a cough syrup or something like that. It's Mm -hmm. really thin. And it tastes not as sweet and slightly more acidic than the honey that we have or that we're used to here. But even the honey here, I'm going to do this. I'm going to bring you some different honeys because you need to taste the honeys. Even if I were to give you a sample from on campus versus the ones that we have out at the Manassas airport, Mm -hmm. you would notice a profound difference in taste because mm -hmm, because the honey is dependent on what the bees are getting their nectar. Yeah. Yeah. And they're where they're collecting their pollen and everything. And so honey just varies in color. It goes from light to really dark colors and has, I'm a big fan of honey. I love it. (laughs) It's got health benefits too. No, without question. So you talked a little bit about the international programs, and it's just phenomenal, Mm -hmm. the impact that we're having. My understanding is that the program was named 15th best overall in social and environmental impact in Latin America and the Caribbean by the Latino American Verde Awards. Is that right? That's correct. That's like our Green Awards, and that's what there's the Latin American Green Awards or Verde Awards. Yep. Outstanding. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and I think this is a really important point about community-driven development. And I want to make this point because a lot of times I see people wanting to make a difference in a different country that they've never visited, which is laudable. I understand the point of wanting Mm -hmm. to help out others. But... This project was started by Herman Peria, who is from Colombia, and it was started in Santander, which is his home municipality. And 
the community came to us and they said, we have this challenge. We need more money into our communities, but we can't just have people leaving the communities and going to find work in the big cities. Mm -hmm. We need to keep our families intact. What can you help us do? And beekeeping had a long history in Colombia. And so we said, let's see if we can turn the stingless bee project into something that can improve these women's lives. Mm -hmm. And so several years later, like I said, we have over 200 families now in this program. We've gone from three mayors being involved to over 12 mayors involved now. And the country is asking us to expand further. It's been featured in, oh my goodness, hundreds of newspaper articles in Latin America and even in Spain. And it's been on news programs and it's gotten so much attention because the bank that initially funded it looks to this example as the premier example of how businesses can make a positive impact in the community. That is really, really cool. It's one in a long line of things that we got to talk more about. That is just phenomenal. Well, I was going to say, it's like that best kept secret campaign. We got to get the word out. We got to get the word out. (laughs) You know, there is a term in industry today called ESG. Yep. Environmental, social, and governance. Yep. It is incredibly important to companies all over the world. In fact, very clear direction between future earnings and the future ability for, I won't say earnings, but future investment and ESG, right? You have mm-hmm. If you don't have a strong ESG program in your company, you will not get as much future investment or your future investment will cost you more because there is a belief, which I believe as well, that those companies that are doing the best relative to environmental and social issues are doing the best for society and, and therefore can command a better premium yes. in terms of an investment. This connects to the concept of social entrepreneurship, yeah. which is really a big part of the whole concept, in my opinion, of what the center is about. So can you talk a little bit about social entrepreneurship and your connection to it? Yes. And I have to do this sort of gingerly. I, so I'm a big fan of social entrepreneurship because I really do think that it's our responsibility to make the kinds of choices and lead the kinds of businesses that positively impact people, planet, and prosperity. I mean, mm-hmm. I believe that wholeheartedly. I also am troubled sometimes by the terms social innovation, social entrepreneurship, social enterprise, because it, they all imply that there's an enterprise, an entrepreneurship, and something that isn't social. And I think that we need to reclaim that term of social entrepreneurship because I really do believe that all entrepreneurship ought to be focused on this triple bottom line or this ESG is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And too often, one of the challenges I see, for example, with students at Mason and really with inventors the world over, they've got these great ideas in search of a problem, right? And so what I mean by that is they have these ideas that they think are going to make a difference. And all they need to do is figure out what problem that innovation solves and then figure out how to market it. And then they'll make this impact. And so what I think we need to be doing at Mason and in other programs is harness that entrepreneurial mind and spirit and creative intelligence, as we like to call it, Mm -hmm. and get people to think about understanding the grand challenges. Who else is doing work in the space that you want to be working in? 
and what are the challenges that they've encountered and where are the holes that need to be filled and your job might be to be the entrepreneur and come up with a solution but first understand the problem because if you understand the problem first then the solution may be you need to partner with a nonprofit or a government agency or you need to work within the organization to figure something else out and maybe what's needed isn't the next new business or or new idea, maybe instead it's leveraging the work in the community in order to make change. Outstanding. So if you were to kind of sum it all up, we have the Honeybee Initiative, Mm -hmm. but you also have a whole host of programs that are associated with this Business for a Better World Center. If you were to bring it all together, what do you want students to take away from the program? And what are your programs that are open and available to students for their individual engagement? Well, let me start with the first one. We have a lot of programs that are open for student engagement. And going back, for example, to that 17 Rooms event that you mentioned earlier, just this month, we brought people and representatives from organizations in the Bailey's Colmore community, like from Second Story, from the Legal Aid Justice Center, and Just Neighbors. And we brought them with representatives from Fairfax County government. And we brought them together with people from our SHAR school, the School of Business, and Docky Mason, and the Institute for Immigration Mm. Research. And we said, let's harness our collective resources and let's figure out a plan so that we can support students as they transition into college, right? So area students from this region who are immigrants who need support in figuring out how to navigate college. And let's figure out what we can do for the undocumented and DACA and temporary protective status community when they graduate from college so that those dreams continue on. No, no, I And those opportunities, like the 17 Rooms event, which our center sponsored, are prime opportunities for students to get involved and to support the work that Mason is doing on this campus. So I would point, I would welcome anybody to come talk to me because I would be super supportive of that, of working with students. I love students. I've stayed at Mason for over 20 years because you will find no student better than the ones that you will find here. I mean, they're just incredible. But in terms of what I want students to get out of it, I mean, it's it's a lofty goal, really. But I want them to understand that they have an enormous responsibility to serve as change agents, to really become the leaders and collaborators, and to make meaningful and lasting impact on our planet and in our communities. And to paraphrase Gandhi loosely, I really think our students must be the future that they wish to see. (laughs) I hear you. I hear you. That is really cool. The real issue here is that there's a lot of inequality in the world, right? A lot of big problems relative to this that have to be solved. And there's racial bias. There's environmental degradation. The reality is that we will have cohorts of students who may not find that job that they want upon graduation. They may actually have to create a job, right? They may have to create a pathway. And so programs like yours... They're incredibly helpful in terms of providing students alternative pathways towards their own individual success. At the end of the day, people are going to have to answer two questions relative to their own individual lives. And that is, is what I'm doing in life meaningful? Is it having an impact, right? And then, am I doing the right things to take care of myself and my family, right? Mm -hmm. I think this is a great program towards providing a pathway towards those outcomes. 
Thank you for saying that. I think you're right, or I wouldn't be doing the work that I do here. But I also think what inspires us and keeps us going are the students. I mean, this generation of students is really keen to make an impact. And whether they call it social entrepreneurship or change making or social innovation, there's a lot of different terms for it around this campus. Most of our students come here and they are so mindful of the sacrifices that families made for them to be here that they want to get an education so that they can give back. And so I think our students in particular are hungry for these types of experiences. Outstanding. Outstanding. Well, this is clearly not business as usual. And so I really, really appreciate you engaging us. And that's going to wrap it up for things here at Access to Excellence. I want to thank Dr. Lisa Green Pembo, co-executive director of Mason's Business for a Better World Center and co-founder of Mason's Honeybee Initiative for her passion and her time. Thank you so much. I'm Mason President Gregory Washington saying until next time, stay safe, Mason Nation. If you like what you heard on this podcast, go to podcast.gmu.edu for more of Gregory Washington's conversations with the thought leaders, experts, and educators who take on the grand challenges facing our students, graduates, and higher education. That's podcast.gmu.edu.